Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. I'm a big believer in uh, coming to service, time the word happens and opens. I, I encourage you, as I always do, to find your place, to stay in your place, come with a Bible, a pen. Uh, you got your note sheet if it's a help to you. To do work with the preacher, it's not, not my job. Uh, it's not my ministry to entertain you. It's my ministry and my job, if you will, to feed the flock of God, Peter said. And so I hope that you stay at the table uh, for the next few moments and feast and eat of the banquet that the Lord has for us from His Word. I'm going to read this morning from Mark 7. It'll be in verses 31 to 37 in our study of the Gospel of Mark. Today's our 30th message in this Gospel, and uh, I hope that you are uh, enjoying and delighting in the truth of Jesus from this book. Mark 7, would you look with me at verse 31, and uh, I'll read and you can follow along with me as we work all the way through verse 37, the end of the chapter. This is God's Word. And again, departing from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee, through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears. And he spit and touched his tongue and looked up to heaven. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loose, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man, but the more he charged them, so, so much the more a great deal they published it, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. We, uh, two weeks ago, excuse me, two weeks ago we were in this earlier part of Mark 7 and we were seeing Jesus there with the Syrophoenician woman, uh, the woman who had a, a daughter who had a devil, uh, as the Gospel of Matthew said. She had an unclean spirit and uh, the Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus begging Jesus to free her daughter. Uh, to liberate, to deliver her daughter of this unclean spirit, of this devil. And we were taking notes in that story a couple weeks ago about the need and, and the welcome, if you will, from Jesus to be persistent askers. We ask of the Lord, we ask of the Lord, we ask of the Lord, and we're reminded that Jesus doesn't require from us timidity. Jesus does not require us to be timid but he honors our boldness. He honors us being bold as this woman, the Syrophoenician woman was, to go boldly to the throne of grace to find the help we need. And so that was the encouragement. And once again, we find a passage here now of asking and asking and asking. 
Jesus in Mark 7, in, in, the, in the text that we just read, uh, he is, he, he's leaving the region of Tyre. Now, we're going to put a couple maps on the screen. Uh, some of y'all like maps. You're here for the map, and I get it and welcome it. Uh, Jesus is leaving this region right here, and I, we've got a couple maps, but I'm going to move quickly here and just explain. He has been up here. His ministry is primarily in the Sea of Galilee region. He goes up to Tyre in this region up here. It's a Phoenician region. I told you the, the woman is a Syrian Phoenician. And so Jesus has been up here teaching, uh, having, teaching his disciples, resting. The, that woman came to him. He delivers her daughter. And then the text tells us that Jesus leaves this region. Can we go to the, the next map? Uh, he leaves this region, and, and uh, by all accounts, he crosses over this river right here. Uh, and, he, and he goes down in this region. He goes, we believe, through Caesarea Philippi, and he comes down into this region. Now, I'll, I'll show you another map in a moment. But this is the map. Instead of Jesus going over to the Sea of Galilee, across the Sea of Galilee, we believe that he comes this way and comes down to the region of Decapolis. Now, we'll come to that region in just a moment. We have seen that in Mark 7, Jesus is, he is, he has been rejected by the religious insiders of the day, the, the Pharisees and the scribes. They have rejected Jesus' teaching, and now Jesus is going to what you might call outsiders. He, he goes to a Gentile woman, the Syrophoenician woman, and now in our text, he is in another Gentile region, in the region of Decapolis. Decapolis is a Greek word, which is, is two words, deca, which means ten, and polis, which is city. So Decapolis is, is called this because it's a, a group of ten cities. We're going to throw another map up there, and I want you to see this is the region of Decapolis. Now, we remember in Mark 5, the maniac of Gadara uh, is from the region of Decapolis. Uh, but this is Decapolis. So Jesus has been up here in Tyre. You don't have the name, but he's up here. Here's the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he comes down this way, and he comes down into the region of Decapolis. Many of you might remember, and I, I'm not going to show you pictures today, that uh, I showed you pictures before of being in Israel last year in the city of Beit Sheen. Beit Sheen is this city right here, Scythopolis. Uh, we have the ruins in Beit Sheen today that we would go visit, and it's a city in the region of Decapolis. Now, lights are back up, and uh, this is now off the screen. So, I'm going to move quickly here by introduction. I want to I want to jump right into the text, but it is in this region that Jesus has gone. The, he's been there once. He there is he delivered the maniac of Gadara. He left the maniac there to to take on a Gentile mission work, if you will, in Decapolis to publish. You have in your notes Mark five there. I gave that to you. If that'll be a help, you can see how Jesus told him to go, and he, he, in verse 20 of Mark 5, he began to publish this maniac, this once maniac, who's now in his right mind, has been publishing into Decapolis the great things that Jesus had done for him. And then Jesus comes back, and he's, he's here now in this region. Matthew tells us in Matthew 15, 29, that the multitude of the people in Decapolis wondered and glorified. They wondered at and they glorified the God of Israel. And, and so as we look at the text today, there's a lot of backdrop here. I'm not going to take all the time for that that we could give, but I want to just jump in 
to the narrative that you saw. Jesus in Decapolis, gone from the region of Tyre, and now he is, he is with a multitude in front of him. But let's, we're asking a question in Mark's gospel. I wonder if you've picked up on it and if you could almost recite it back to me. We're asking the question that the disciples asked when Jesus calmed the storm on Galilee. What manner of man is this? As we study Mark's gospel, we're not first asking what it tells me. We're asking, what does this tell me about who Jesus is? Can I just say to you this morning, the greatest question you'll ever answer is the question of who and what is Jesus like? I want to give you three statements today from Mark chapter 7. Number one, Jesus has requirements. Jesus has requirements. I want you to see in verse 31, these words, and again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis, and they bring unto him one that was deaf, had an impediment in his speech, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him. Now, we've touched on this already, but I felt like with the week off last week with, with a guest speaker last week, I felt like I needed to kind of touch on this again and continue to show you this rhythm in Scripture. One, because maybe you're here today and you didn't hear it the last time and you need to hear it now. Two, maybe you, like me, tend to forget. But Jesus has requirements. The first requirement is that you know, and I know that we are a people in need. That you know that you're a person in need. In the text, there's a reminder that this man knew he had a need. I told you a couple weeks ago, Jesus, if you will, requires that you be self-aware. Self-aware. Now, self-aware is the awareness that you have a need. That there's something, if you will, that's wrong. That there's a a shortcoming, a, a, a problem, whatever that is, that there's a need. So you have a high with Jesus. You must have a high self-awareness. You know and you're willing to confess today that I'm a sinner. Uh, there's something in me that is broken, that is wrong, and I am aware of that. The second requirement that Jesus has is that we know who Jesus is. That not only are you self-aware, but you're Christ-aware. You need a high self-awareness that you're a person in need. You're a person in need of a person. Sadly, life experiences have taught us not to think we need anyone. To think that we're okay by ourselves. That we'll make it happen. That we're the only ones that we really need. Sometimes shame has led us to believe that. For whatever reason, though, that we come to that place, Jesus requires that you confess that you need Him. We have to realize that a healthy gospel self-awareness leads us to confess and leads us to admit that even when we don't feel safe with others, that we are absolutely safe coming to Jesus. Even when we don't feel safe with other people, because other people have hurt us, or other people seem to, to injure my soul and injure my and exhaust me and wear me out, Jesus is someone you are totally safe coming to. But then you must realize that what Scripture says about Jesus and from the witness of the life of Jesus, that Jesus as Christ is able to satisfy and to meet the need that you confess you have. We've seen this throughout the ministry of Jesus. 
all through the ministry of Jesus. And as you read through the Gospel of Mark and books like this, it's important that you recognize there's always people coming to Jesus with a need. I just, I don't mean this in any unkind way. It is, you, you are so free today because you are so safe in Jesus. You're so free to admit that you're a needy person. That we need Jesus. But sometimes people needed the help of a friend. Sometimes somebody did not have the capacity to recognize that they needed Jesus. We saw this in our text today. We saw it in Mark chapter 2. That God gives us friends who when we cannot get ourselves to Jesus, God gives us friends and family members and those that love us who tell us you are totally free to go to Christ. In fact, we will help you. In Mark 2, the men ripped the roof off the house and lowered the man to Jesus, didn't they? But here in our text, in Mark 7, they brought unto Jesus a man that was deaf and he had an impediment in his speech. The text says, they, and they, I'm not sure who they are, but this man is blessed with they. I don't know who these people are, but this deaf man who could not hear and could not speak clearly was blessed that the Lord had given him someone in his life who said, hey, we've heard that in Decapolis, Jesus is here. And do you remember the maniac, that maniac that the Lord freed? That man told us, he published the news about Jesus. And hey, we want to take you to him. Now, I just want to remind you today, if the Lord gave you a they, a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a co-worker, a friend, who said, hey, I want to help you get to Jesus, you have been blessed by that person. You've been blessed by that person. Now let's grasp, grasp some context here. The deaf, this man is deaf. Without being able to hear as a child, he's unable to learn how to speak and thereby resulting in a severe speech impediment. And in that world, totally different from our world, these, these kinds of individuals suffering from physical impairments, they were ostracized. They were sadly ostracized by society. Even in Israel, if you remember in John chapter 9, somebody who was deaf or blind, the disciples asked Jesus, what did this man or his parents do for him to deserve this situation? Right? There was a skewed view of why these people were in this predicament. This man, this man lived in a pagan society, which means the treatment that he received was more likely worse than those in the Jewish communities in this day. Yet, this man had someone who cared enough about him to bring him to Jesus. And the text tells us there in Mark, in Mark 7 that they beseeched him. And they beseech, that word beseech, not a word you probably use this week, means to ask and beg and plead. It's a lot like the Syrophoenician woman, isn't it? And they beseeched. And they asked, and they pleaded with Jesus. And they simply asked that Jesus, hear me, Jesus would lay his hands upon this man. This is something Jesus was probably known for. 
Mark 6 tells us that he laid hands upon sick folk and healed them. And so these people brought this man with a need. By the way, this is not a Jewish audience. These are Gentiles in a Gentile region bringing a deaf Gentile man to Jesus. I want you to notice secondly, quickly, Jesus operates, not only does Jesus have requirements, secondly, Jesus operates away from the crowd. I want, you, I, want you to, I want you to think about what I'm about to show you, and I want you to try to inhale the kindness of Jesus, if you will, so to speak. Lay your words on this, for, on, on, lay, your, lay your eyes on these words with me. This is Jesus in verse 33. And he took him aside from the multitude. Why does that even matter? It matters because this is not how the world works. It's not how the world works. The world wants the crowd. The word, the world would put it on Facebook Live or Instagram Live. The world would market this like crazy, right? Jesus is about to do something, and Jesus does this away from the multitude. Can I just remind you, Jesus, we're asking the question, what manner of man is this? What is Jesus like? Jesus is the kind of Savior that he dignifies you by pulling the faces from the crowd and gives you the individual attention. Jesus is the kind of Savior that his goal is not to gain this incredible multitude, but to show this man that he matters. It's the compassion of Jesus. And I think there's some encouragement for many of us here. We think that our need might be met from the excitement of a crowd, by a group, by a multitude, but what we really need is we need the Savior who takes us away from the crowd, the one who takes us and talks with us in the one-on-one. That's what you have with Jesus. He's not too big for you. I'll tell you, can I, can I personalize maybe so that it'll help you with personalizing an application here and an encouragement here? For me this week, it was a reminder that Jesus is with me in the alone moments. Teenager, young Student in school, when, when you feel all alone at school, all, of, all alone at lunch, ostracized from the crowd, maybe you feel, and that's, an, that's a, it's a hard place to be for a child and a teenager. Can I just tell you, you have the kind of Savior who has no problem being with you away from the crowd. No problem being away with you away from the crowd. So the coworker who feels a little bit out of, out of, out of the element at work and out of, man, I just don't have a place here. Let me just remind you, Jesus takes us away. He's with us outside of the multitude. He's there with you when you feel alone and low. He's there with you when you adult, when you are laying in bed at night, you're crying over your children, you're praying, you're scared. You're sitting on the side of the bed, you're, you're aware of how difficult life is and it's overwhelming you. I mean, can I just remind you, what, what manner of man is this? He's the kind of Savior that doesn't need a multitude. He's good with just being with you. That's the kind of Savior you have. Jesus takes this man away from the multitude, away from the crowd. One-on-one, dignifying him, telling him he's not just a face, not just a number, but he matters to Jesus. 
Thirdly, third statement. This one's a little bit awkward, so bear with me as I flesh it out. Jesus enables and makes unable. (laughs) I don't even know if that's a sentence or what that is, but it's something, okay? Jesus enables and then makes unable. It's an interesting truth that we find in this text. Look at verse 33. Let's walk through this quickly. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears. And he spit and he touched his tongue. Now maybe you're you're thinking, all right, I'm out. I'm out on this one, right? I saw a pastor illustrate this unwisely one time. It didn't go so well. You don't need to feel like this is a place where you should mimic Jesus this week, okay? In this moment, Jesus recognizes the man's physical problem. He's pulled him away from the crowd. And if you will, I, 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 man, I wish I could see this. Maybe there's a picture here of some kind of sign language. I don't want to add to Scripture, but Jesus using a form of sign language, something. He puts his fingers into the man's ears. Then Jesus spits probably back on his fingers, and then he touches the man's tongue. Remember, he could not hear. The man could not hear. He could not speak properly because of this impediment. And if you've ever met someone who is deaf, you can understand what Mark is describing for us. Jesus putting his finger in the man's ears seems a little bit awkward. Then spitting on his fingers even feels more awkward. And then to cap it all off, Jesus with the saliva on his fingers touches the man's tongue. And our mental picture struggles with this, but what Jesus does here is significant. In the time of Christ, people believed that there was healing properties in saliva. Jesus had used saliva on a couple other occasions. Maybe you remember one of them in John 9, the the man that the disciples asked, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's born blind. In John 9, Jesus, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and anointed the the eyes of the man that day. He, he, He gave this man his sight from that clay. When Jesus spit on his hands in our text, the deaf man knew. He knew by that moment that Jesus intended to heal him. Look at verse 34 and looking up to heaven. And these two words stood out with me this week as well. He sighed. I I was gripped by Jesus taking the man aside from the crowd. And then there's something about this sigh. And Jesus saith unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Ears and tongue be loose. That's the language of this. Jesus looks to heaven, symbolizing his power and authority from God. I gave you a lengthy quote in your handout there from Sinclair Ferguson, if that'll be a help. But he, he, he looks up to heaven, symbolizing his power and authority from God. And in his sigh, it's the kind of image in Scripture resonates with me. It's that Jesus in this sigh, aches for this man's disability. He aches that the fall, that sin, that, 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 that the curse of sin has brought on this kinds of hardship. I liken it, if you will, in a way to Jesus weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. There's a holy sigh that this is the effect of the fall, that there are sufferers in this world. 
And Jesus is grieving over that. And then he says this word. Mark gives us the exact Aramaic word, epphatha. And then Mark is kind enough to translate it for us. Be open. Jesus in compassion and authority, compassion and authority, healed this man. He enabled him to speak and to hear. And then in verse 36, what would be your response? He then charged them that they should tell no man. It's the exact opposite response of what Jesus had told the maniac. In Mark 5, he told the maniac to go publish it, but here he told the crowds, keep quiet on this one. And and we can talk so much about why, I believe, because at this point, Jesus and these crowds are so enthused with him. It's not time for him to to go anywhere, to, to, to go to the cross. It's not time for him. At the same time, he's also silencing their materialistic view of Jesus, that he's only there to deal with the material end of life, or he's there to satisfy their political aspirations because we have this tendency to elevate political figures to messianic figures. So Jesus is there, he's telling them, don't tell anybody what I've done. So here's the the point that I'm making here with this statement. Jesus very simply enables this deaf man who cannot also speak. He enables him to both hear and speak clearly. And then Jesus makes us unable. Now there's a, a rub here. One, they're obviously going to be disobedient to Jesus, which is not okay. On the other hand, so much has happened here that these people are unable to not tell somebody. Verse in verse 36 goes on and says, the more he charged them so much, the more a great deal they published it. The people of Decapolis could not contain their enthusiasm. Verse 37 says this. Speaking of those people, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. Jesus has done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb, those unable to speak, to be able to speak. That's that's the text. Let's try to work through a couple possible applications quickly. Number one, I think this is important from this text. I think it's I think it's the key point of this passage for us. Number one, Jesus fulfills messianic expectations and fills us with expectation. We often speak here, we often speak here as a church of the coming kingdom, this kingdom that's coming that Jesus, where Jesus rules and reigns. I believe it's a literal thousand-year millennium. Uh, we call it the millennial kingdom or the millennium or the millennial reign of Christ. There in that millennial, in that thousand-year reign, King Jesus will rule and reign. Jewish rabbis believed that that was foretold of the Messiah, that what we saw in Mark 7 was foretold by by Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 35. It's there in your text for you if you want to see it, or there in your, your handout. 
These are the words that Isaiah said. And the, and the rabbis believed that this would be a part of the Messiah's, the Messiah's reign in his, in his coming. Here's the words of Isaiah 35. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then, and this is talking about the Messiah's kingdom, and then shall the lame man leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for the wilderness shall, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. In Mark 7, do we not see the words of Isaiah 35 fulfilled? I think the point here is Jesus saying, even to a Gentile crowd, and especially for his Jewish disciples around him, I am the fulfillment of what Isaiah told you was coming. It's another way in which we'd say the Old Testament is a promise made and the New Testament is a promise kept. But here in this, in this text, in Mark 7, Jesus is announcing once again by his actions, by his ministry, that he is the king. And here it is in Mark 7, not only do we get the arrival of the king, but for you and me, you and I now sit in expectation of the coming kingdom where he fulfills these finally once for all. That's the point here. That as we look around our world, there is, there is in us, there is a lot of sighing like Jesus. We say, oh, that, that image, it, it hurts me to see it. Oh, that suffering I see. When I, maybe when I shared with you the news about Lewis's dad, maybe in your heart there's a, there's a groaning. And you say, this is just not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And we sigh. And what is our expectation? That one day, that one day Jesus will rule and reign and this will be no more. That this suffering will be gone. It'll be finished. Can I tell you it is absolutely right and okay for us as God's people to live with expectation, anticipation, and to pray and to cry out, even so come Lord Jesus. We long for His kingdom. And I think Jesus is fulfilling the Isaiah prophecy in Mark 7. Let me give you a second expectation. This one is maybe a little more practical for you and for us. Number two, if you want to be a true friend, invite your friends to come to Jesus. Pretty simple. If you want to be a true friend, invite your friends to come to Jesus. I love this point of the text, and we've already highlighted a little bit. The man here, like the man in Mark 2, desperately needed his friends to help him with getting to Jesus. And you know, I, I uh, as we make this text about Jesus, I also want to apply parts in my life where need, I needed to apply. And, and, and my thought this week is simply this. I want to be the friend that helps people find Jesus. I want to be that kind of a friend that helps people find Jesus. I would ask you, would you make that your aim as well? Would you pray for that to be your ministry as well? To be the kind of friend who tells your friends who even maybe they can't think about or, or process what it means to come to Jesus, that you would just simply invite them 
to consider Jesus, to tell them that Jesus is the kind of friend that will take you away from the crowd. Sin has taken away some of your dignity, but Jesus restores your dignity. Sin has injured you. Jesus will take you away from the crowd and show you compassion. That's the kind of Savior He is. He'll heal you of your sickness. Uh, He'll open your ears to the gospel truth. He'll make you able to communicate with Him. And as you've heard in Mark's gospel, what manner of man is this? You are being equipped, I hope, you are being equipped to, to leave this room today and to go to your friend groups, your coworkers, your neighbors, and say, can I just tell you who Jesus is? I read a story recently. A man tells a story about his friend, Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer, maybe you know that name. Francis Schaeffer was a Christian apologist. The man tells the story to another man who wrote the story. He said, I wasn't a Christian. Francis was obviously a Christian. He said, and Francis, and the man said, he said, in fact, I was everything far from being a Christian. So in this interview, he was asked at this point in his life, what, what was it that brought him to Jesus? What was it that, how did you become a Christian? And he said, I became a Christian. Listen very carefully. These are his words. I became a Christian because I had a friend named Francis Schaefer. And here's what he said. He said, Francis would tell me about Christ and Christianity. But I didn't know if what Francis Schaeffer was telling me about Christianity was true or not. He said, but I knew this about my friend. That man loves me. And he said, and that was enough to draw me to be a Christian. Sometimes as a friend, you don't know what to say. Maybe you don't feel equipped to say it. Can I just encourage you this week? Your friends need a friend who can help them to know Jesus. Simply love them. Love them. And be a symbol of who Christ is. In the text, the people of Decapolis are astonished. Astonished beyond measure at the miracle that Jesus performed that day. I believe that if they were astonished beyond measure by this healing, listen very carefully, that those of us who have come to receive the free gift of salvation from Jesus Christ, life and death and resurrection, that we too should be astonished beyond measure at who this Jesus is. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior. Would you just know that there's a man named Jesus? We call him the Son of God because he is the sinless Son of God, born of a virgin, lived without sin, died at the hands of cruel people who cried out, crucify him, kill him. And in that, Jesus died to pay for your sins. 
to pay for your sins and my sins. He was buried, and three days later he rose again, proving himself to be God, validating all that he said and all that he did by his resurrection, saying to every person, even you, even me, I can and I will save you if you believe. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, we would love to have the opportunity to tell you how you can. In dismissal in a few moments, we'll have a pastor down front, a deacon down front. They'd be ready with God's Word to tell you how you can know Christ as your Savior. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. The greatest decision you'll ever make. And you can leave here like that deaf man who could not speak, healed. You can leave here today healed from all of your sin and the punishment to come. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, Your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.